Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. So this is a very special presentation of In The Keep we're going to be talking to Vince Steele. He is an amazing YouTube reviewer for all the coolest video games that uh, we love and cherish here in the keep. We're also going to, you know, talk a lot about just the nature of the gaming industry and the nature specifically of what it means to like review games and critique them and have an opinion and what that even means. You know, and all the legends like Civi, G-Man, Total Biscuit, Icarus, all those guys, like we pay a lot of homage to them. But also this is not just like an interview. This is kind of Vince and I, as I said, he's a new member of the Keep. So kind of getting to know each other. And we talk a lot about not necessarily just gaming stuff. I think we clocked this one in over uh, just under two hours. And... I think it's just a really, really good chat, man. Vince is such an intelligent guy. I'm really proud to bring him into the fold. If you haven't seen his work, I recommend just pause this right now and head on over to YouTube, punch in Vince Steele, and watch some of his amazing reviews. Like uh, His ability to just point out exactly what is noteworthy about a game and express himself and make you love it as much as he does is, uh, I think, unparalleled. And to catch him on the initial wave of his, what I think will be a rise into something that is just really beautiful and profound. Uh, you go check out his videos and I really insist that you do. It's not just the game review. Uh, at this point, he's got like a serialized thing going on. And we're going to talk a little bit about his influences there and his uh, creative path into this beautiful work of art. Without any further ado, please enjoy this wonderful music provided to us by the great and mighty Igrak Simon. I'll leave a link to his music in the show notes, and when it passes, you will be in the keep with Vince Steele. Yeah, my name is uh, Vince. I am a small YouTuber who focuses primarily on indie games, things of that nature, uh, retro stuff. Vince is a YouTuber who has racked up a pretty impressive catalog. Uh, I don't even want to call it reviewing, but covering uh, exactly the kind of content that I think is pertinent to what we do here at The Keep. So just to, you know, Give a few examples that you've done a couple of looks at a medieval over the past couple of years. You've you've featured Blood Fresh Supply, Nightmare Reaper, Wrath Anne of Ruin, uh, Call of Cthulhu, and Wrath 
was really cool. But also there's another game, uh, Valfaris, that I never even really considered like part of this group. Like I've played it and I really enjoyed it. And I don't know why it never occurred to me, but like I, I feel like even myself, I've gotten pigeonholed into the FPS thing. And you kind of brought me back to reality and made me think like, I don't need to be shoehorned into this one little niche idea. Like anything that feels right, anything that feels correct to the spirit of what we're doing here should count. And I think even that game matters. But with you specifically, man, um, you you just have a way of doing your content. You have a way of communicating that I feel is so healthy and so refreshing in the current climate of how people review and talk about games. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a weird climate, man. Like there's a lot of let's plays. There's a lot of like silent playthroughs. There's a lot of reviewers, but I don't know. A lot of them feel very overly formal, I guess. And I don't necessarily think that's what YouTube's about. I don't know. It's, it's just this strange thing where people are, kind of after something that's not really what they claim to be after. So you get a lot of people who quote review games and it seems like they're not really after the, the art form of reviewing the game. They're more after, um, you know, I don't know, like attention for themselves. And I don't really operate on that level. And I know that you don't either. And I think, I think it's interesting like the, the messages at the ends of your videos and just the way that you present them in general, is it's not about negativity. It's not about because for some reason in our day and age, man, negativity leads to people paying attention to you. Um, in your case, you've been nothing but positive, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than to say refreshing. Like it's like a, a glass of lemonade on a hot summer day. In many ways, even though it's like these dark, fucked up psychological <laughs> games that involve shooting people and monsters and stuff. Uh, yeah, I agree with that uh, 100%. YouTube is, I mean, I don't even watch drama shit most of the time. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I don't get sucked in occasionally, but whether I watch it or not, for some reason, the YouTube page just filters it in. And it mm -hmm. just, it's very clear that the, <clears throat> that the algorithm, like, values that over everything else. And I got to this point before I started where all these YouTubers that I was watching, like, they were all focused on, you know, like steam green light is trash and all of these things. And I'm like, that's not, that's not accurate though. Like early access is a scam. Like it's not, like it's actually a, a really good tool that basically sets this generation apart from every other generation of gaming ever. Like you can find some of the most genius shit on the planet right now on early access that, I mean, I've, I probably haven't even found most of it. You know, like Wrath Aeon of Ruin is in early access right now, and that game's genius. It's just, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of money to be made in trying to kick kind of like, you know, the asset flips and things like that. But I think it's it's given everyone a reputation on that platform for being like, like people just assume it's trash. And it's like, that's not it's not accurate at all. That's a terrible way to portray it, I think. I think that happened early on with Unity too. Like people were, you know, realized that they could really quickly do asset flips and just turn out content with Unity and sell it on Steam for a couple bucks and, you know. That that's one way to do it. And people it it gained the engine like a bad reputation, but that has literally nothing to do it only reflects on the people who do the the bad thing with it. 
some of the greatest games I've ever seen who have been made in the Unity engine. Like Dusk is a great example. A lot of the stuff that is coming out recently has been made in Unity because it really frees frees up a lot of uh, bandwidth and takes away a lot of the financial stress that indie developers have to work with. So then they come out with these like really incredible games. And of course, there's going to be some garbage. Usually, with all things, like there's more garbage than there is good in basically every pile that you look in. If you're going to go mining for gold, you're going to find a whole lot more dirt than gold. Always. It's, um, I don't know, it's, it's fun to watch how people react, and, and I think that's kind of a, a zeitgeist on most of our time, is where people are so overwhelmed with information that they have a hard time finding what they're looking for. And I think channels like yours, like Civvies, like Icarus Lives, like G-Man, like the, these are people who do a really good job of helping people kind of find what they're looking for instead of focusing on the negativity or, you know, just getting caught up in the, the ocean of and waves and just general disorder that we see a lot of people on YouTube or any platform, really, just social media in general getting caught up in. You get caught in a riptide almost. Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially when I guess it's like brain candy in a way to like watch a Jim Sterling or something like that shit on somebody. And I don't want to say that there's not a place for that, but it just it gets overwhelming after a while and turns you into a cynic. And there's really I almost said there's no real reason to be a cynic. That's not accurate. Rather, I think there's a there's a much more. Like the ground is as fertile as I've ever seen it. Like there's more of a reason to not be a cynic because, okay, so you're jaded with the AAA space. I am too. You just don't go to the AAA space. Like it's very it's very simple. You just don't go there. There's so many things out there that people can find, and I almost feel like I don't know, maybe not that they don't want to find it, but that like it requires work. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't give a fuck about that. Like. Let's work then. I'll, I'll do the work. That's fine. As long as some of these guys keep making this shit, because if nobody puts a spotlight on it, then they're going to stop making it eventually. They just, it won't be financially viable. I don't know. It makes you wonder, like, how, how do people arrive at the decisions that they arrive at? And I, I, a lot of people are really quick to, and I think that's part of their culture, is quick to assume that these people who are being super negative and, you know, posting a lot of videos are just shitting on stuff. Like, first of all, my question comes up is like, do you like anything? Is it what? Tell me what you do like, because if you're actually going to review something, right? Shitting on it seems to get more hits, but I feel like it doesn't actually accomplish the job, right? I don't want to know what not to play. I don't want anyone to tell me what not to play. I want someone who I can reliably say, like, they'll tell me what you should play, what's worth your time. That's useful to me. Hearing a, hearing a bunch of like just negativity and garbage, like, not only does it have like a psychological toll on you, I think, but it doesn't really serve you in any way uh in, in terms of like i'm goal oriented right like i, I want to know what games are important i want to know who i should be talking to on the podcast and i'm not getting that from people who just sit around saying negative bullshit all the time whatever that may be you know i'm not getting that from anything other than positivity and i think that's going to be kind of the theme as we settle into this conversation like we're really going to have to delve into that yeah, for sure. I mean, it's also it's also in this space and really any kind of like 
artistic entertainment medium. It's also like it's inherently anti the industry, but it's also mm-hmm. anti consumer in that regard because I mean, you're not gonna spend money if you don't know where to spend money at. So it's it's really self defeating ultimately. And I did do a couple of negative reviews a, a little while back and I fucking hated it, man. Like, especially because the two games that I, I didn't necessarily like, I could tell that the people behind them, like they were trying, they were almost there and just picking the two of them out and just shitting on it. Like, I don't understand how other people are cool with that. Like, I don't, I don't know how you just make a 13 minute video being like, this is trash and here's why, because there was no, there was no fun in it. Like it had no spirit. It was just, yeah. All right, well, I'm just going to get this out of the way. It just, I don't know. I don't understand how other people do that. I guess it just depends on how you look at it. I don't know. There's like, there's nothing wrong with good old constructive criticism and all, but you got to think about yourself, right? If we're being selfish about it. If you spend, I mean, how many hours of your time goes into a a 20 minute video? Fuck, man. Uh, I think the last one I just did probably 45 hours like it was constant crunch for days once i completed that game i'm not even counting the however many hours i put into play it it was very much it was and granted i was working on trying to make sure my editing was on point but yeah i'd say 45 50 hours minimum uh maybe even more than that i really didn't keep count because i was afraid if i did that i would look at it and go jesus all right so i've been in the same position and i think at least from my perspective like you said 40-something hours, more than 40 hours. So more than a typical agreed-upon week's worth of labor, right? Spent on something that you don't enjoy is a travesty. Like, that's awful. Every, every day that I, like, I, I hate my day job sometimes. And, like, every day that I'm here and I'm not doing something that I really care about is a waste of my time. That's, I mean, obviously, you got to take care of the bills and take care of your family and everything, but... This is something that you're doing on the side, and you're not really getting paid for it yet. I think you will, and we'll get into that later. But yeah, like 45 hours of your personal time and energy and labor and just goodwill and something that could be spent doing something positive and doing something better for the game community to be thrown away at just negative garbage or just at the baseline, like I said earlier, something that you don't really enjoy is fucking worthless. And I, I really don't understand how people, I, I guess when you start making enough money and you're making money off of uh, off of those negative reviews, I bet it becomes easier to be that way. You know, like, like yeah, it's just my job. Like, I just, you know, I shit on stuff and people like it. Maybe that's fun. I don't know. But it, from, where, from where I'm standing, it doesn't look all that uh, glamorous. Yeah, I guess. Uh, the way that I think about it is you're literally trading hours of your life away. Like, you're getting closer to death in order to shit on something like that's yeah. I, w- I wouldn't care how much money I was making. I don't think I could dig that. Like I'd probably do it. You know, everybody has a price, but I'd like to think that I wouldn't, I don't think that I would. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people, they start out good intentioned. And then I think what happens is that's what gets them attract. You know, that's what attracts people. And yeah. then they go, Oh, okay, well I'll keep doing that then. And then before they know it, they're just these cynical fuckers online who are like, man, I fucking hate this. You know, people always talk about, you know, don't, don't monetize your hobbies. And I'm like, maybe there's something to that. But on the other hand, 
maybe you're going about it wrong. And, you know, that's not a perspective I can really have much knowledge about, but that's just what it feels like. Like, of course, if you spend, you know, upwards of 100 hours a week, because a lot of these guys, they put out more than one video. I don't know how the hell they do it. I guess, you know, yeah, if that's all you do, then sure. But you do two videos a week, three videos a week, 100 hours plus. Even if you're making decent money on it, you're still just shitting on something constantly yeah. and i i can't i can't do that like i have kind of a reputation offline as being sort of a curmudgeon kind of dude because my sense of humor is very sarcastic but it's it's not it's not how i am and especially with something that i claim to like right like you people love games all right then why are you just shitting on them all the time like i i can't bring myself to do that i don't see how anyone else can hmm so i guess that brings us to you as a as a person so where did uh you develop an interest in gaming from where, where, how did that start where did, what put you on this journey that led you to where you are now uh when i was a kid um some of my earliest memories are playing like super mario brothers 3 and stuff with my parents on the nes i didn't realize i was going to become as obsessed with it as i would but thinking about it back i can definitely tell like one of my favorite christmas memories is getting a genesis and you know, playing uh, Super Mario World for the first time and all these different. There's a very. Uh, there's a very nostalgic like feeling of, you know, when you're a kid and you pop in a cassette or not a cassette, when you pop in a cart and it's like the first time you've ever done so for whatever that was. And then, boom, there's this new game. And I guess I just kind of held on to that even yeah. into my adulthood. I have like. When you say that word, you pop in a cart and you have that feeling, right? Like, I remember the first time I booted up my N64 and Diddy Kong Racing was on the screen. And just how many great memories of my childhood stem from, you know, that began at that moment. Oh, dude, Diddy Kong Racing was, that's one of the more underrated games in my opinion. It definitely I, it gets overshadowed by Mario Kart, but I played Diddy Kong Racing before Mario Kart any fucking day. I, I still wholly believe I think it's the best like racing game, especially of that like that particular genre, like the the character you know ability racing games that ever existed. I I still love it way more than Mario Kart. I yeah, wish it were sure. a franchise that had been carried on because it's just so much better. You have airplanes and hovermobiles and like flying through flaming rings and stuff and i don't know and it had the open world where you the, the elephant guy that would like you know give you advice and help you out and change your vehicle for you it was so much more immersive than mario kart which is like this arcade game right i don't know yeah i was gonna say the same thing like there's also a hub world and you can go you can go through the hub world and you can mm -hmm. see things and you can like it, it was it was very much like the first time the N64, that whole era was like the first time that I'd ever experienced that. Like uh, in Mario 64, uh, I think it's called Dire Dire Docks. Like you yes, could go underneath yes. the water and you could go on a ship and there's like a giant eel. And it was just like this. Whoa, this is what games are now. Because I had just come off of 2D stuff. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah, wow, this is this is something completely new and different. Yeah, the, To keep on the, the Diddy Kong Racing tangent for just a second, like. As you progress in the game, right? Because there's like all these areas in the in the hub world. But as you progress in the game, you get access to the new vi uh, vehicles, right? So at first, 
you have to get the hover cart, right? You have to unlock the hover cart so that you can go out in the water and then you find a whole new world that you can explore. And then eventually you get the airplane and then you can fly up into the, like the winter levels and everything. it's just like, whoa, how is this even possible? Yeah. The uh, hub world itself was an yeah. adventure. That was, that was insane. And I don't know. I feel like that's sort of lost upon a lot of modern video games. And we, we're starting to see that a little bit more with the, for whatever reason, the indie scene seems to be the only people who've like caught on to what actually worked for that generation, for our generation. And like a medieval has a similar kind of thing going on. It's not nearly as immersive as a hub world, but there is one and you can kind of like, you know, walk around and visit different areas and everything. And I feel like we're, we're catching on to that a little bit more slowly throughout time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, I think speaking in the AAA space specifically, I think uh, they're so concerned with like justifying that sixty dollars price tag, whereas you know, the New Blood don't have to worry about doing that. Their games are twenty bucks, twenty five maybe. I think they're all twenty bucks on full price, so they can just. It's basically like, I haven't talked to any of them, so I don't know, but I, I feel like in a lot of those games, it's like people are making what they would want to play as opposed to what they think other people were going to play. And then it ends up working out really fucking well. New blood is a particular example. Um, in that from what I can tell and Dave, if you're hearing this and you want to correct me, I'm, I, pro- I feel pretty sure I'm on to something good here. So you probably won't, but if you do hit me up, I think that uh, what often happens with companies like that is that they, they already see a game before they pick it up. I know for sure, like Dave, pretty much won't touch a game until he's actually gotten to play a demo and like put his hands on a little bit. So a lot of what's happening with New Blood is these games are already, you know, they're already something that someone was going to do for free anyway before they ever got the chance to make money off of it. Dusk in particular was just David Szymanski like was just trying to like get people to pay attention to this thing he was making and was hoping that Oshry would like retweet it or some shit on Twitter just like so people would pick it up. And then Oshry just loved it so much. He's like, "Oh yeah, fuck yeah, let's publish this. Let's go full, like invest some money in it and go all in." And so you get more of a, like a passion project out of out of a developer or out of a company like that than you do out of you know a, a, a lot of AAA games. Actually, but as an example, Rathion of Ruin is like another game where you have like somebody was going to do this no matter what, and then they just happened to get picked up by a developer, but on that tangent, 3D Realms also made Ion Fury, which was not like this dream project, right? Like this was not something that somebody had been like, oh, working on already. They had the property, you know, for Bombshell, which was a bomb. And then, but then they got this genius idea, like let's just hire a team who's really good in the build engine and make like more of that story in the build engine and commissioned it essentially. So there's multiple ways to arrive at that like awesome, beautiful, soulful game, but I think overall, even though Ion Fury is going to stand out as an example of the opposite, I think you're better off picking up a, a passion project and putting a little bit more finesse on it than you are the other way around. If that makes sense. And a lot of AAA games are just these, oh, we have the property to Doom, let's make a new Doom game, but let's like, what do, people, what do kids like these days, hey? And then you end up with like a like Doom Eternal. <laughs> So. oh doom eternal uh no, yeah don't. i agree man <laughs> like uh i think with 3d realms and 
uh, and sorry, I almost called it the the bad word. Iron Fury. Don't want to piss off anyone uh, out there. I think with that game in particular, they may not have had a vision, but I can tell that like the people they commissioned for that definitely had played Duke Nukem, and they had definitely liked Duke Nukem, and the direction they were given was very much off the back of like. Not that they want to make Duke Nukem, but like this is, you know, the build legacy, right? Yeah, yeah. We're we're gonna talk about the build legacy before Redneck Rampage and all that weird shit started coming out. This this is the legacy of that. So if you were to make a game in the build engine that's gonna contribute to that legacy rather than be parasitic of it, <coughs> some games out there, uh what would you do? And then that's where the idea comes from. Because I've heard people say that Ion Fury is basically like a, a, a new Duke game. And it kind of is. I see where they're coming from, but at the same time, it stands out on its own so well that it's like, not really. Like, that's what we're starting to see too is it's not just like capturing the feel. It's like, it's sort of like its own transformative situation where we know all about these properties from before that we grew up on or we had, you know, respect for. And now, we want to contribute to that legacy. And I think respect is another thing that definitely separates it because there's not, you know, a crazy high production machine that's going, mm-hmm. okay, we got to churn out a billion dollars because the marketing budget was 500 million and blah. No, it's just, let's put the fucking game out and make it as good as possible and capture that feel. And then people are going to gravitate towards it. And I think, I think the fact that the keep exists is proof positive of that like, it's definitely a good model. In the maybe the last, we'll put a big number on it and say six months. I think we've started to reach the transition between this game is like, and then name a bunch of games from the nineties, and the the new statement will be like, here's a game that is like the games that you've been liking recently. You know, so you know the the really easy examples: Wrath and a Ruin. That's like Quake. Uh, Ion Maiden. Oh, that's like Blood or like Duke Nukem because it's in the build engine. And I think we're going to start transitioning into like Ultra Kill. It's fucking awesome. If you like Dusk, you'll probably like Ultra Kill, you know? Uh, you're not going to have anything to really compare it to. It, you, you could make The Devil May Cry, you know, but the big comparison that kind of sold everybody on Ultra Kill was like, oh, it's like if Doom Eternal were good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to yeah. say. Yeah, Everyone's saying it's Doom Eternal like. I'm like, it's really not though. It's it's Ultra Kill. Yeah, uh, it's it's like a totally unique game. It has nothing to do with any of these other comparisons. It's not a spiritual successor to something, you know, that we all know and love from the past. It's like, here's a fucking badass game that just kind of fits in that same genre. And I think we're gonna see more and more of that over the next uh year or so. I fucking hope so, because once I played Nightmare Reaper, I was like, okay, I see where this is going. Because yeah. Nightmare Reaper is a giant collage of so many ideas that every old FPS had, but it's yeah. done in such a new way that like, I wouldn't even say it's a, it is a boomer shooter, but I wouldn't say it's like, it's not a retro FPS. It's a, I don't want to say it's more modern than a lot of modern games because it, it works so many of those elements together in this new way. It's like uh, you, you always compare your, podcast to like uh you know you do jazz versus this other one does you know symphony well that's it's almost like a composed symphony with that game because it's like 
all these elements are elements you've heard of before. It's a cello. It's a, it's a flute. It's a blah, blah, blah. The, the patchwork we're going to build with it though, is some shit that you've never seen before. And that's how I felt playing that game the whole time. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? You know, it's got rogue elements. It's got uh, looter shooter elements. It's got platforming. It's got all these things that we've seen done a trillion times, but just the compilation of it was so different that I was just like, oh yeah, if this is the way that this is going, we're good. Like we don't even have to look at a triple A game if we don't want to. Well, Bruno is probably the perfect example of someone who Bruno Boudouin for anyone who's not following uh, is a creator of Nightmare Reaper. Like he is just about the perfect example of someone who only cares about making what they believe in and has, I mean, I'm sure he wants to make some money and I hope he does more than like, I please send Bruno your money. Like just write him a check right now. Give him fucking all of it. Yeah. But (laughs) that is an example of someone who's just fueled by passion and not by this need to appeal to anyone who doesn't agree with his creative vision. He's like the black metal of this first-person shooter genre right now, where he's like, I don't care. Fuck you if you don't like it. If you do like it, it's exactly for you. If you don't like it, it's not for you, and I don't care. Unapologetic. That's the way I would describe that game. It, it's yeah, for so sure. Good. Yeah. I was going to say, he's a, he's a very interesting one, because a lot of the games that I like, he does not like. And... I would I would go so far as to say I, I mess with them in the, the discord all the time that I, I make the number increasingly low the amount of games that he likes. And yet. He's able to make like this. Really immersive, like interesting, constantly changing world. That's just I almost don't understand how he does it. But then again. We're just separated by errors because he's you know, he's old pc oriented like that's where his knowledge base mostly is i'm a little bit younger than him so i'm a little bit more modernized and just seeing the way that he puts things together i'm like it's weird how many opinions about games we disagree on and yet i fucking love this game like it's definitely at the top of my boomer shooter list i I cannot wait until that game is finished i I generally operate on the basis that like uh, i should just defer to him like he he knows more than i do why would I disagree with him and, until I have a reason to? And then if I do, then we can have that discussion at, at some other point. But yeah, look, Bruno is killing it as far as I'm concerned. He's successfully created the first like boomer shooter and probably since the boomer days where I actually give a fuck what happens to the character. Like I want to know more about this character because generally speaking, I'm just like, oh, cool. This is great level, level design. And oh, I like this weapon. And like, oh, these enemies kind of suck. I like the way I move, and I don't even think about the protagonist at all. But in his game, I'm like foaming at the mouth to know more about why this girl's locked up and what happened with her parents and all that stuff. It's truly a a great feat that he's pulled off here. It's not an easy thing to do to interest uh, someone like me in in a story (laughs) of a game. Yeah, no, I feel that. One thing that I, I really appreciate about your work is you are one of few people. And I mean, like I, I can name off all sorts of game reviewers right now. You have a gift for articulating why you feel the way you do about something. And that's not a gift that many people have. I even think I struggle with that a lot. It's, it takes me a while to get there if I can even accomplish it. But 
your videos really do a great job of not just from a verbal perspective, like not just, you know, in saying the words that you need to hear or you need to say to get your point across, but in setting a mood that I feel like people can relate to. And I, I know you have your own views about like, oh, this is where I'm at or whatever, but just like looking at the numbers and comparing that to the time frame, I think it's just a matter of time before you get a lot more recognition. And I don't want you to like really respond to that point so much as just what in your uh, in your upbringing brought you to be such a, uh, for lack of a better term, articulate person. Books, dude. <laughs> like I think, uh, I think a lot of people now. I think books have have lost their. I don't know. I don't want to say significance because, like you know, audio books are uh, huge right now, and I, I keep seeing studies that say like Gen Zers and stuff like that are starting to read books again. But I don't know, man. There was something about like walking into a library whenever I was a kid and going and checking out a book that I probably was not old enough to do. Like I was reading Stephen King at like eight. I love how, isn't that interesting how video games had this huge backlash, right? You have to have a rating system and music had that same thing. Movies had that same thing. Never once has this appeared in books. You could just walk into a library and grab, like you could grab it when you're 10 years old, if you want to, and no one's going to question it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) No, no one. That, I mean, they might give you a weird look, but yeah, there was never a situation of like, "Are your parents okay with this?" You think like the librarian, at least in my school, like she probably never read it because she was like, you know, this super clean cut person who would never touch anything bad and probably wasn't even aware that anything bad even existed, you know, in her life. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, my uh, my librarians were disconnected from that kind of thing too. But I also was reading like Jane Austen from a young age, like just anything that seemed interesting, I guess I would uh, I'd pick it up. Like I read Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy when I was 11. And granted, that one I didn't really get into because I thought it was interesting. We used to have this shit. I think it was called Accelerated Reader or something, which was basically like that, too. Yeah, like this shitty. Yeah, this shitty standardized like questionnaire. And that one had enough points because it was fucking 800 pages or something that one had enough points that if I took that one, I didn't have to do those tests at all for the rest of the year. Cause it was like yeah. 500 points over. So I just, I, I, I opened up my, I brought my horizons that way, I guess, by trying to cheat systems that I thought were boring. And I just ended up getting into it. I remember like a teacher, cause I was a big bookworm too. And they were like, why don't you, uh, why don't you, compete for the AR points because I had a pretty high reading level at that point like higher than most people in my class they're like why don't you um, compete for you you want a bicycle if you get like the the most AR points and I was like I don't fucking care about that like I just like reading I'm not reading for your stupid test I'm reading because it interests me so I was reading like Moby Dick in the fifth grade like that kind of shit and all these other kids were trying to like mow through Harry Potter books and or like Hank the Cow Dog and Nancy Drew I don't care that none of that shit interests me. I definitely read the fuck out of the Harry Potter books. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. That shit was like, I mean, it was like brain candy, but it was like dope brain candy. Whenever I was a kid, like I was obsessed. I had a uh, Harry Potter sheets and shit. Like I was obsessed <laughs> with it, but it was like, 
that came out basically i was roughly the same age ish as like uh harry was at the time so when yeah. it exploded i was right there for it so when your 11th birthday came you're like when's my letter coming i'm going to hogwarts this year bro i know yeah, exactly we're... how to get there <laughs> like a net platform nine and three quarters it's gonna be dope <laughs> i also used to read a lot of uh like i read uh darwin when i was young because like science mm-hmm. was also very interesting it was like Scientists looked at it as this very black and white, like wrote, you know, these are facts, therefore. But like the whole theory of evolution nah. used to just fuck with my brain, man. I was like, wait a minute. We came from came from bacteria and then it developed into this and came out of the came out of the ocean. And and being from the South, like, I don't know what your experience was, but most of my teachers were not very receptive to that kind of thing. So there's also like a punk element to it. And That's like by, by the time I got to high school, like the biology teacher was very much like, uh, I mean, I have to teach this, but I think it's bullshit. And at that time, I was like, well, fuck you then. I'm not going to pay attention to this shit. And Let's I would just argue that. with her. All right, go for it. No, like I, you, you you mentioned growing up in the South and kind of having that Bible Belt mentality. Like, how did that influence you? You're talking about your teachers um, and they didn't want to teach you evolution. Like, I'm curious, how did that uh, how did that impact your, your thought process in your brain? How did that, if anything, I guess the to get right down to it question would be how did that uh, influence your skepticism of systems and societal norms? Oh, it immediately made <laughs> me like, it immediately made me start looking at things analytically because I think there's like this uh, idea whenever you're a kid that, you know, once I'm an adult, I'm going to know something. And then when you're surrounded by adults that don't seem to know fucking anything like after that, it was pretty much like, Oh, so adults don't know shit either. They're just as scared and confused as I am, except they're 40 plus. So they know even less than me. If you uh, adjust for inflation, it also made me very like combative. Uh, I have a very low tolerance for nonsense and that's persisted from the time I was in middle school up until now. Cause that's where that started. There's always like this, uh, this idea of like, you know, don't question things. And I'm like, I think that's the opposite of what I should be doing though. Like we should all be questioning all of this, especially as you go between classes, because science is very much about like interrogating the facts until you either usurp them or they're ironclad. And if you pay attention in an English class, that's kind of what it's about too. Like you'll read Huckleberry Finn or something like that. And you'll talk about the social themes of the era. So we're we're talking about deconstructing these complex themes, but at the same time, I'm not supposed to question all these social institutions around us. Like the two are kind of counterintuitive. You can't really have one without the other. Like I'm going to break down this set of uh, analytic principles, but over here, I'm just going to kind of adhere to those like, nah, fuck that. So I sort of became more of a experimental, like someone tells me not to touch the, the hot pan on the stove. Why? just don't do it. All right, fuck you. I'm going to touch it then. Cause you're not going to tell me why I was very much one of those kind of kids, which looking back now, a lot of the times, you know, they seem self-evident, but if you weren't going to give me a real reason then I wasn't going to listen to you, cause what's the point? You're not teaching me anything. You're just trying to get me to do what you want me to do. And I'm not going to fucking do that. Hell, I'm th- still like that, to be honest. I think that there's a lot of merit to that point of view for sure. Like a, there, no question about it. You don't want to be told what to do. And no kid really wants to be told to what to do. Um, I think that's the difference between a good teacher and a bad teacher is that someone who tells you, let's not focus on this 
particular point of view. And it's not because we're trying to avoid it. It's because there's a greater point to be understood, or at least like, or at least if they were willing to say, that's not what we're focusing on today, but we will get to that, you know, versus we're just not going to address that. So Huckleberry Finn's a great example, uh, especially in the, in the modern era, right. Of some of the themes that that story really explores, uh, in particular, like, you know, there's a lot of race, um, disparity and just in the way that people talk back then. And that this is in 1800s Missouri. So there's a lot to be explored there, but I'm not willing to throw the entire story out, right. Of what happened to Huckleberry Finn, just because these characters had views that aren't necessarily like meshing with this point in time. And of course they're wrong. Like you shouldn't be racist or fucking, you know, just dismissive the way they, that oftentimes people in that story were, but that doesn't discount the other lessons that you can learn from the story. If that makes any sense, I'm sure someone's going to shit on me for the way I've articulated this, but I think that you can learn something from anything. If that makes any sense. If you are trained to deconstruct it i agree yeah yeah, yeah. and i'm definitely not pro getting rid of huckleberry finn especially not in a fucking school because no that's where that needs to be you know that's where that needs to be taught like the 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 prevailing opinion of bygone eras is sort of the the problem we're facing now in my opinion because there's very much this conversation about you know we gotta make it great again and it's like what, do you even understand what you're saying? And I'm not taking a political stance on your podcast about that, but just, just the nebulous statement, make America great again. What does that mean? And usually if you ask that question, you're going to start finding a lot of people on either side of the aisle, any part of the spectrum, they're going to take a, a breath for a minute because now, oh, now we have to think, what does that mean? Yeah. We have to define parameters. We have to fill out those parameters with context. If you're not reading if you're not learning about old perspectives, if you're not constantly looking at your teacher and go, I think that might be bullshit. Here's why you're never going to be able to answer that question with any kind of real merit. There's also a lot of the problem with like, like the burden of evidence and like, uh, like the integrity of sources because it's so easy to just go find an article that backs you up. And it's like, okay, how much Mm -hmm. about that statistical methodology do you understand? Or are you just looking at numbers? Oh, well, I'm just looking at numbers. I I don't remember who said it, but it's a pretty famous quote, you know, statistic, there are lies, damn lies and statistics. And it's, it's not necessarily that statistical methodology is, you know, fraught with lies. It's that you can make a lie seem feasible with statistics. And it's like, well, no one ever taught us to do that. Well, you're right. But at the same time, you could have been learning that shit on your own. Like you could have been going, "This, this sounds ridiculous. Maybe, maybe I should look more into that. I'd say I don't that think statistics don't prove anything. Uh, statistics plus logic prove things. Absolutely, you can't have one without the other. Plus context, like yeah. you also got to have context because if you're just looking at a rote set of numbers, I mean, I don't know how many people around you are good or bad at math, but you ask people to add basic numbers in their head, usually they're going to struggle. I mean, that's a failure of the education system. Period, in my opinion. Well, that brings us back to what gets hits on YouTube, statistically speaking, negativity and, uh, you know, just flamboyance and acting like a damn fool, whatever, whatever words you want to put on it. Like just, just being a jackass, it leads to hits on, on YouTube or on social media in general. Um, 
but does that lead to quality? And that's another, that's a, that's the context. That's the, the logic. And that's the question about like, what is your goal? Is your, is your goal to appeal to the widest audience possible? Or is your goal to reach the people who really vibe with what you're talking about and are, you know, like your tribe or whatever, like that, that's several different questions that all need to be asked in order to determine like success. Because we currently just define success as high numbers, high view count, high like count. Uh, it's not even like count. It's likes and dislikes and comments, positive or negative, are all considered by the algorithm to be positive things. That's because YouTube's afraid to stand up to its ad uh, suppliers. Because <laughs> for some reason, they seem to think that there are other platforms that they can go to. But anyway, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like For me, it's about... For me, the number one is definitely like I want to put these games on Front Street. Like I want people to buy those games. I'm not really I mean, I am consumer focused, but I think I do that passively. I'd like to uh, show people what they should buy. So, you know, if I'm telling you to buy it and you trust my opinion and you see what I'm putting up there and you go, oh, yeah, that looks like something I might like. Yeah, that's inherently pro consumer. I'm more pro dev, though, like in terms of actively like. I want to get I want to get these games on Front Street, but at the same time, I don't want people who are just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll uh, go shoot for 10 hours. Like I want to I want people to think about games maybe not like I do, but in a more analytic way because a lot of the times and you know, because we interface with games in like a very uh what's the word? I'm drawing a blank here. In a, in a very aesthetic way, like we appreciate that it looks good. Like, okay, but what does that mean? Uh, okay, that's why in the medieval I said, I'm going to tell you why you like it. Here's why. Because the environment tells X story. Uh, the way that you interact with these NPCs over here tells Y story. I think, uh, I think there's also like brain exercises to be conducted while you're playing a game because... In my opinion, games are much more equivalent to novels in the way that they can create like a like a real quote unquote real world that you can live in for a while. They're not like snapshots of moments in time. They are fully interactive, like realized, tactile and, you know, livable, breathable worlds if they're done well. If they're not done well, then, you know, it's kind of like reading bad fan fiction. But <laughs> that's in, in the, the, point. the realm of a, a single player game is that you kind of have a lot of control over how you experience it, at least a good one, right? And with the book, that's the same way. It's a very uh, one-to-one, me as the person, the book as an entity uh, experience, right? No one else is doing that with you, unless you're reading out loud, but even then, they're still, they're just hearing the words out loud and then they're having their own visual uh, interpretation of what the words mean. So it's personal. Uh, when you play a single-player game, you're having a personal experience with how you interact with that game. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. With a movie, it's like there's still some of that too. There, there are some movies that do it better than others, but generally speaking, it's like pretty much everybody here can agree we had the same experience, right? And then you have an argument about like whether you liked it or how you liked this choice or that shot or whatever, but it's not the same. I think you're you're making a good argument in terms of like a, a game is a little bit closer to a novel than say a movie or a, te- a television series is. Yeah, absolutely. I think it also, I mean, in terms of multiplayer, like even that has certain novelesque qualities that come with it because I've watched you guys play Warfork several times. And when you guys are in there, 
like there's a heap of emotions going on. Like you're, you're playing around shit talking each other and like people are breaking down. Like Gelmo is breaking down like the fucking inner fabric, the, the inner quantum fabric of life while you guys are talking around him. And like, there's just like a, there's an organic interaction that comes out of that. Like you go to a movie at a theater, you're going to probably be quiet for that entire time. Otherwise right. people are going to tell you to fuck yourself with a game though. There's like extra amounts of emotion and empathy attached to it that I don't think anything other than a novel can have. Like you can have a novel, you know, round table discussion and you can do that with movies too, but it's going to be a lot more exposition. Whereas a game lends itself to more, like in-depth critique, I think like in-depth conversation, you can talk about themes. You can talk about the way that the environment reinforces themes. You can talk about all kinds of things with movies. You can kind of do that, but it's much more two dimensional, but you could say David Lynch put, you know, this shot of whatever into here because he wanted to evoke terror. Like with a racer head, so much of that is like about his anxieties of being, you know, a new father and, how monstrous the thing in the crib looked and you mm-hmm. can get, you can pull that from that. But if you play something like shit, I don't know. The brother's a tale of two sons. Like yeah. that game can rip you the fuck apart. If you're the right kind of person for that kind of game, of course. Uh, actually pretty recently I've been watching through twin peaks and there's this awesome shot to, towards the end of season two where it, it zooms in on this table with a duck and there's a note that says Q4 pro, right? And I sent that to Violent Heart, and I was like, I'm thinking of you, bro, because he's a, <laughs> a professional Quake 4 player back in the day. And Lynch was so good at leaving things up to interpretation, uh, specifically. I'm really glad that you brought him up, because that's a director that I I think transcends sort of um, what you're talking about. He's He's a director who leaves a lot open to the audience to figure out for themselves, which I think is true of games and is also true of novels. And that separates a really great filmmaker from a mediocre filmmaker And that some movies, as you said, are very two-dimensional and some are totally not. They leave you uh, wondering and thinking. And when you had that conversation with your friend afterwards about, what was that about? I mean, I, don't, I can't think of any better example of Twin Peaks in terms of, like, what the fuck did I just see? How did you experience that? How did I experience that? And you get to have a whole conversation about it instead of just this, uh, well, yeah, I think it's pretty clear that uh, Iron Man's dead, and we gotta, I don't know, wait for Thor to come back after Ragnarok, or whatever the fuck that shit means. I don't know what any of it means, but it's yeah, not yeah, a... fucking hate the Marvel movies. It's not a clear-cut story. Yeah, Mulholland Drive is the one I go to, because I'm not really the TV guy, but if you can get three people in a room to talk about Mulholland Drive, that's the entire day. Like <laughs> That day's gone. <laughs> yeah. I love everything David Lynch does, man. I, I think he's... I know people have their critiques of him and all that, but like I really do think he's a genius. No, he definitely is. Uh, he's basically the he's basically the sole director holding down surrealism in the modern era. <laughs> like you're talking. Unfortunately, about- unfortunately, I think Louis C.K. was onto something, and then the the shit that went down with him happened and ruined it to some extent. Oh yeah, for sure, he was getting there. Um, but like. Lynch is so classically he's so classically surreal like and that's not to say his movies aren't modern but you look at like an old director like uh, Luis Buñuel that guy was doing 
these fucking punk rock movies that like he was getting banned in countries and shit just for having the gall to depict <clears throat> to depict some of these like metaphors that I mean fucking Man. nobody was allowed to do. And then here comes David Lynch during an era when you can't shock anyone. Oh, except David Lynch fucking can. And he doesn't have to do it by getting, you know, banned from countries. He can do it by just making you think like that's I think a lot of people are terrified of that, like that they have to think you have to be quiet for 20 minutes and just sit with your thoughts. And that's what David Lynch demands you to do. Otherwise, his his shit's just nonsense. Like uh, Kubrick was almost on the Shakespeare level of he was doing the same thing, but he was doing it so well and so subtly that the audience didn't realize it was even happened to them, right? Like, so, you know, you, you watch uh, The Shining, and you can interpret that on so many different levels. You can sit there at the very base level and just say, like, oh, this guy is a bad person. He wants to kill his family because he's, you know, possessed by a ghost or whatever the fuck. Or you could go way deeper with the story and, like, start to unravel all the metaphors that Kubrick was hiding within it. And... That that can happen a lot with games too. Not necessarily that there's like any real like dangerous things going on in the games we're talking about, but I just mean that there's layers to how you can really uh enjoy it. Doom would be a great example. You could just look at Doom as straight up like I show up, I shoot the demons, I complete the level, I go to the next level, and then put zero percent more thought into that. Or you could play Doom and really dive deep into like, so why I'm on Phobos and what happened to Deimos and uh, what's the deal with this uh, spider mastermind? Is this even the real one? Why did I, you know, go through a teleporter and then come out in a dropship in the second game? And then it took us 25 years before John Romero answered that question. You know, you have layers and layers of, of how you can uh, really enjoy something. And I can't think of a whole lot of better people than you. I, I feel really not to kiss your ass, but I'm kind of like excited to have kind of discovered you before anyone else did you know i've got i've got you like oh you're you're my own special little thing that i get to like help cultivate and that's like an honor for me no it's fucking good to be here because when we were first talking about me jumping on and we were kind of talking about our aims and stuff and like how we value games uh you you basically told me exactly what i thought like you think about games the same way that I do. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm in like, <laughs> I, I've been, I've been looking for people who didn't look at this, at this medium as just like, Oh, this is entertainment is like, I mean, it is, but it's, it's an art form. And I hate that there's still a debate about whether games are art because it is like, just close the book on it, dude. Like Ebert pulled back. If Ebert pulled back, you have no, you have nothing to stand on. Just stop. I can't even imagine an argument against it, if that makes sense. Like I, I know you're, you're you're referencing like Ebert and because he's a film critic and all this, but I actually don't even know the other argument. Right? Like it's not. I'm not open to it. I've never been open to it. I never will be open to it. There's no other way to look at it. And if anyone disagrees with that, they can, like, they're denying themselves. That doesn't make any sense. Of course, games are art form. They're the ultimate art form. They they accomplish everything that film and novels both ascribed to with a first person, you know, element and some games more so than others. Yeah, exactly. You, you actually interact with these worlds physically, like maybe not, you know, you're not reaching out and touching the sword in a medieval, but your brain is 
telling the sword in the game to do what it's doing. And it is taking in the environment that you're running through and it's doing all these things. Like I don't, I've heard the arguments I've considered them and they're bullshit. So if you're not open to it, then don't be because there's no argument at this point. But over time, right? Like over time we will get to that point. We will be living in all. That's probably fucking true. Yeah. It'll be just as real to you and me. I don't mean to get all Joe Rogan on you, but I mean like it will be just as real as real life. It, there's no other way around unless I, i've had this i don't know if you were around yesterday when i was telling everybody in the keep like i think we're in the second dark age i think we're about to hit the second dark age we're gonna lose the internet and we're gonna have this we'll have this like long era of people being exposed to new and awesome knowledge and they have all the access in the world to it and then it'll just it'll be just like the fall of the roman empire where all of a sudden we don't have that source of information anymore and everybody just declines into just disgusting awful hedonism and violence hold on i'm gonna go download the entire uh like abandoned where archive real fast just in case that's a terrifying reality by the way like the internet just goes away it's true i'd be though. fine but fuck dude like if it went down tomorrow i wouldn't know how to get in touch with you that is a I'd fact have to dr- drive to wherever you live and like go fucking like asking people hey do you do you know where vince Steele lives and they'd be like oh and it'd be i can make a movie about it <laughs> could make a game about it finding vent steel hidden off in some library somewhere trying to stay away from everyone i bet you'd be like that dude from the twilight zone where he like you know he's hoping everyone in the world dies so that he can just read books finally and then his glasses break yeah that would be me except i don't wear <laughs> glasses so it would be like every time i walk into a library for some reason i set it on fire the shit would be terrible Let's just God. hope that uh, electricity stays around if the internet goes away. You're you're such a good member of this team, dude. Like I I knew like the way that you got recruited. If you're not aware, is like um. So we you know before you were invited to the room, we have like a private chat within the keep, obviously where admins hang out and people who are contributors hang out. And one day, uh, because I'm a I'm a huge Civi fan. I, I I love Icarus and I love G Man and you know all all those guys. Like they're great, but Civi is, I think everybody can agree, like the man when it comes to like our world right now. And then Donkey, uh, if anybody hasn't heard him, he's been on the podcast before, but he he came in, he was like, you got to check out this guy. And I was like, okay. And then I watched, uh, remind me, which what was, just, what was the first video that you started to do the, the therapist angle with? Uh, I think that was Wrath. That was the first one I saw. And that was so captivating that re like i don't, I don't want to like sit here and just compare you to civi all day because but you're, you have your own thing going on but civi really captured a really nice thing with his show and that it is not just game review it's like he is a character that exists within a world that you slowly kind of get a grasp on and you have like re- you know repeating themes throughout it and you did that but in your own way, that's so much more cerebral and so much more in tune with, with with what I think the keep is about. And I'm really curious to like dive into your psyche. Like, where did that come from? What what's your, I don't know, what motivated you or what made you take that risk? So with that one specifically, I've always tried to like, I've always tried to put something in that's outside of the game itself. Uh, Sometimes I like to do like an entertainment kind of thing. Like I like to talk about the history of roguelikes. 
with that one in particular, I'd been awake for a very long time. Whenever I finished that, <laughs> I, uh, I don't sleep a lot usually by choice. Sometimes not. Cause mostly I feel like it's a waste of time. Sometimes I just can't either way. That's a entirely different tangent. So I had been thinking we can, about, you can go to that route if you want to, but you don't have to. Oh, I'm, I'm just... fine with it. <laughs> okay. Um, I had been thinking about like, am I addicted to games? Which my actual determination is that I'm not. It's just the thing that I like to do. Like people always talk about being addicted to games, like it's this thing, but it's no different than somebody who works a nine to five and then comes home and watches fucking eight hours of TV and then goes to bed. Like this is just what I do. But I had been thinking about it, and I was like, what is it about games that attach me to? that attached me to them so much. Mm -hmm. And it was very much a thing of like, you know, I play a lot of old stuff, like new old stuff, but old stuff. Like I really like CRPGs from like the uh, isometric perspective and things like that. And it was one of those things where I was just thinking about like, cause I've been through therapy. So it was, if I were interrogating myself as a therapist, what would I have to say about this? And I was just thinking about all of the things that I would say to a therapist were I to be asked about this specific thing. It's like, you know, I'm attaching myself to these old games because I remember a time before I was an adult and realized that the world is fucking complete chaos and no one knows what the hell's going on, including the people who control everything. And uh, these were things that just came to me as I was playing wrath, like there's almost like a, uh, there's almost like a yearning for a bygone era in that game, like locked in. And I guess uh kill pixels slightly older than me. I thought he was slightly younger. Uh, I guess he's in his thirties, something like that. But I feel like he, <clears throat> I feel like he feels the same way about games that I do, or at least that's what I got off of wrath. Like the way that it takes, quake fundamentals and it does its own thing with it and so i was just in my brain i'm that that's just what came to me is almost like a like a hallucination kind of thing where i'm like this interrogation with me and my therapist and the therapist is trying to tell me like you know if you want to get rid of it then you got to figure out a way to capture you know that feeling of being a kid who's innocent discovering the shit for the first time and you're not a cynic yet you don't know the burdens of the world you're here in the moment and that's I just ran with it from there, really. So, have you did you listen to Kill Pixel's interview with uh, with Dump Truck and RC on Quakecast by chance? I did not. I started it and then I just fell off of it. I'm gonna listen, go back to it. I, I mean, I'm a fan of games, but first and foremost, man, I'm a fan. Obviously, I mean, I, this is what I do. I'm a fan of the art of conversation and uh, you know, interview and understanding people. I think. I hope that comes across in the way I do my show. But that, to me, that interview specifically, and I mean, like, of all, of a lot of things. Like, I listened to Sam Harris. I listened to The Portal with, you know, Eric Weinstein. I listened to Joe Rogan. I, I'm a podcast addict more than I'm a game addict, to be honest with you. And I'm so infatuated with getting into why people think the way they do. And... That interview, Dump Truck, if you ever hear this, man, like NRC2, just took me into a different fucking planet of 
you know, what what a game can mean to somebody and what the creative endeavor of creating, you know, making a game can mean to someone. And it almost brought me to tears, like just hearing Killpixel talk about, and I recommend definitely checking it out at some point, but he went like on this whole other path, right? Where he went away from everything that he knew as a child, right? And just had to go on like a spiritual journey. He moved to Florida with no plan, no job, nothing, and just kind of found his way and just had this vision of like, I'm going to eventually create what would end up being wrath. And that blew my fucking mind. Right. And I'm doing a very piss poor job of saying what I mean. Like here, I think that everyone should go listen to that interview. I'll even, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes of this one just to point, point it out. But when I hear you talk, I hear the same thing, you know, of this is not just, an attempt for this is not an attempt for you to be like I want to be a big YouTube star. This is like I really believe in the work I do, and I really have a vision for this, and I really have something that I'm hoping to like figure out about myself by going down this path. Does that make sense? No, for sure. Uh, yeah. You mostly hit the nail on the head. There's also an element of it that's it's almost like an exorcism, like because I have all these things going in my head constantly. Like I uh, I make the joke that I have voices where I'll, I'll like. I'll have one conversation with myself in my head and then I'll interrogate it with another. And it, it just, it's constant. And with this kind of medium, like, yeah, I get to talk about games, but I also get to be like, get it out. I guess like I get to put it on something. I get to sculpt and cut it into something. And it's much more constructive than just holding it in because creative energy is very much like, it's almost like a time bomb. Like it just yeah. builds and then it fucking shakes. And you're like, I don't, I got to do something with this. And that was kind of a, this has been kind of an outlet for me to be like, okay, I can put this up. And if nobody likes it, nobody likes it, whatever. At least it got out of my fucking head. At least I can maybe sleep for once, you know? No, man, I, I feel that like it's, it's you're putting your heart and soul into your creative endeavor and that's it. It has its merits and has its non merits. It has its things that are, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Right? Like I, I, and I think that about myself too, and not projecting that onto you, but like why, when I, you know, you, you can probably relate. I know that you have a similar kind of thing going on. I was like, I work like 60 hours a week sometimes. And yet I still always, and, and I'm married. Like I have uh, people that I care about and other things that I do. But if, if I don't get this podcast out every Tuesday, I feel like a complete failure. Like this is, this is my, uh, this is my contribution. Hopefully, it means something to someone. And for me, it's like a it, go, it goes so much more in depth than just the games, right? Like I'm passionate about Doom. I'm passionate about Quake. I'm passionate about Nightmare Reaper and all the other games that we're going to talk about. And yet, what I'm really passionate about at the end of it is getting to know the people behind it because I feel like you guys have important things to say. And even though you're like, we're not game creators, we're just people who enjoy them. And I feel like we maybe experience it on a level that can hopefully, if not, um, if not influence or benefit necessarily someone who already feels the same way, then hopefully perhaps like lead someone on a path that will help them find that uh whatever that is if even if it's not playing these particular games but like 
realizing that in themselves. And that sounds like a really egocentric thing to say, but I, I, I really believe in it. No, for sure. I think of it like uh, Braille, right? Like yeah. Most people cannot read Braille, but to the people who can read Braille, when they find Braille, they're fucking stoked about it because nobody, right. el- nobody else has Braille available. So when they find it and they touch it and they're like, okay, I get it. Like I, I can read this. That's sort of, that's sort of where I'm, where I'm reaching for, I think, is I'm looking for as far as an audience goes, like I'm, I'm trying to show games that I think about that make me think to people who want to think and who want to support developers and want to do all that stuff. Like, it's very important that not just that I get an audience, but if I'm going to get an audience, it's the right kind of audience because I could just fucking pander, but I'm not going to do that. The like, audience why? is already there. There's no question about that. The, the, the audience exists for what you're doing. They just aren't aware of you yet. Yeah. And how much of this is that too? It's not even necessarily like egocentric. It's more like, am I the only fucking crazy guy here? Like, am I the only one that thinks this way? Oh no, there's not. There's 107 people uh, in 12 months. There might be a thousand and seven people. Like it, it's some of that too, is not feeling fucking alone in this world. Cause I don't know what your day-to-day interactions are with people, but who, uh, just existing can be fucking alienating sometimes. I think it has to do with being open to, right? Like, um, our perspective isn't necessarily correct. And I say our as if it's like unified, but it's not like you have perspectives that I don't share and vice versa, but I think we can all learn something from each other. Um, there's a lot of wisdom out there in the world. There's a lot of extremely intelligent people who, with different perspectives, right? There's, there's people that, I deeply, deeply enjoy their work or even a lot of their perspectives and then don't agree with it 100%, right? And then I have to, like, challenge my own point of view. And I think that's how you learn, right? Like, you don't learn by not thinking about other ways to think about what you already believe, right? You learn by having conversations or, you know, even not a conversation with another person, but, like, by constantly putting what you believe up to a challenge of some sort that makes you have to question everything. Like you can, let's just use the the big example. Let's say you're a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian unless you know what Buddhism is? Because you really don't know that you don't believe in Buddhism if you don't know what it is. If you believe, you know, yourself to be a, a, a fucking LeVayan Satanist, how do you know that you really believe that if you haven't been exposed to other ideas? Right. Uh, I think that, is a pretty healthy way of viewing how conversation and learning and, and being rooted within your own belief system means, you know, a plant doesn't grow into the soil just willy nilly. It grows into the soil because it has to be challenged by the soil. The roots grow deeper and deeper, you know, with all these other things coming into it, it needs sunlight. It needs, it needs, uh, you know, carbon dioxide rather for plants. It needs water. It needs nutrients. And if you're not giving yourself that, how can you really grow as a person? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get all philosophical on you, but like, that's, that's really how my brain works, man. This is a, this is a different kind of interview because like, uh, usually I'm talking to people and I'm just like letting them go at it. But I feel like we're kind of getting to know each other also at the same time. Like you've only recently been kind of introduced to the team and I, I want us to like know each other. No, I'm into that, man. Uh, Never be afraid to go down a philosophical hole with me. I was, uh, <laughs> I spent five years in college. One of, one of my two majors was philosophy. So I'm, I'm down with that. Like let's fucking, let's interrogate everything. I'm down.
So that's that's fun. Like, so you what what made you go to college for philosophy, and what else did you go for? Uh, fear of computer science was a <laughs> was a large part of it. Um, I was uh pretty terrified that I wasn't going to be intelligent enough for computer science. So it was like, well, what else is there that I'm into? Oh, Western philosophy. Like that was one of the things I picked up through libraries and things like that. The other one was political science, which is why I try to stay away from political discussions. Cause I, I know where they can go. Um, really it was about like, I don't like the fact that there haven't been, I don't like the fact that, so much of like American iconography is built on old British, like platonic philosophers who read that shit. And then they were like, all right, we're going to adapt it now. Like there's so much more out there is like so many more schools of thought. So my thought process was, well, if I'm going to learn how to think, then I should learn how to think. And that's really what philosophy is like. Yeah. It's teaching yourself how to think in the first place. Initially, I was going to be a teacher, but that kind of fell through. Um, we were talking about earlier before we got on the air, like um, about meditation. And you, you kind of commented because you, you I, I feel like this is an off topic because you talk about it in your videos a little bit with your therapist, quote unquote. Your, I guess it's your wife, right? Is a voice actor. Yeah, she does the voice acting for that. She, she's great, man. She's like, it really... I don't know if you heard my interview with Nate uh, Barons, but like that, his wife did the the voice for the female character in uh, Sagebrush, and it it kind of blows my mind how good like I, me as like an outsider, like I interpret like, man, this is some fucking great voice acting. Who's doing this? And it's just like, oh, it's she's not even an actress. She's just like the first person available to me. And if I, if I need a new female voice actor, I probably call my wife too. But and I liked your uh, your uh, medieval interview where you actually thanked her at the end of it for like uh, thank you to my wife for <laughs> dealing with my crazy fucking you know cynical points of view and just like entertaining it for a bit. But that's so cool in itself. But where was I even going with that? The, we were uh, talking about meditation stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So meditation is not necessarily the art of thinking but is actually the art of kind of not thinking in a way um and i know you don't you said you had some struggles with this and it's something that i practice literally every day i'm not trying to like evangelize this to anyone listening or to you necessarily but it's been very therapeutic to me because i am i think i'm very much like you and that like i can just my brain will fire off on a million tangents and i have problems sleeping because as soon as I lay down, it's like a, a George Carlin had this great bit about how it's like you lay down. Actually, it wasn't George Carlin; it was uh, Robin Williams. As soon as you lay down, it's like that little, uh, you know, like the the monkey machine with the little symbols that starts banging, and and then all these ideas come into my brain, and I can't relax. I'm just like I have to do more. I have to think more. I have to do, like, figure this out before I you know, arrive at any sort of peace with my uh, psyche. And meditation very much helps me to. Um, come to peace with that and say that it, imagine it like this and um, uh, every every view that I'm going to express from here on is some form of probably something Sam Harris said at some point but imagine yourself standing on the side of a highway right and you see cars going by and you could try to like look at a car and follow it down the street but meanwhile there's a hundred other cars flying through your vision and your your mind is constantly 
trying to attach itself to everything, even involuntarily, right? They just appear. It's not like you have any control over it. Uh, another good metaphor is imagine um, a, a noisy room, right? Like a, like a, I don't know, a convention where there's like a, a hundred thousand whatever people rocking around in the same room. They're all talking and they're all having their own conversations. Imagine yourself at a dinner party or a restaurant and you're trying to talk to the person in front of you, but there's all these other conversations going on, but you don't have a problem just zoning into what you're be currently a part of, right? The person that you're focusing on, right? You're not paying attention to those other conversations and you don't even hear them, but they are happening. They're occurring within consciousness. You're just not picking them up. So meditation is sort of the art of applying that to different things. Um, whether that be, we're in the information age and people are always like, oh, but I mean, how am I supposed to pay attention to a 30 minute long YouTube video or a, a, a two hour long podcast when I have all these other things that are constantly bombarding me? And when you learn how to only pay attention or only, you know, internalize the things that are occurring constantly within your consciousness and you, and you can recognize like, this is what's important to me right now. I'm just going to pay attention to that. And the other things don't matter and they don't, you don't have to follow every car down the street. You don't have to pay attention to every conversation in the room. You can just decide to focus on what is important to you and not be troubled by those other things. That is an extremely, extremely powerful tool and it can help you be far more productive, far more uh, grounded and less disturbed, right, by things that are going on around you. I hope I did a good job of articulating that. Yeah, no, uh, no, you did. I think my hang up with meditation has always been like, I don't know, I don't know how to detach, I guess. Like the uh, the car metaphor is a, is a pretty good one. I'm always more like, I don't know, like I do attach to all of them. I guess into some yeah. capacity like no I can tell you do man and it's not a criticism like I can tell that you like you see the world as it is you see everything you're not one of these people who because most people right that we think of are happy people right like these people who are untroubled by things and we could call them stupid but realistically like you know they, they say ignorance is bliss and so they they only see what matters to them and we're like oh you're so blind like I felt that way as a teenager. I'm like, oh, you guys are so blind to the rest of the world. You don't understand everything that's going on. How could you be so happy in your two story house with your, you know, your your dad makes all this money and you get a new car when you're 16 and you know, all the all the normal things to be angry about if you're a fucking you know troubled teenager. And like, how could you how, how could you think that when you know that like uh, two hundred years ago and fucking I, I don't know like England they're, they're, all these great injustices were done to the Irish nation and all like why the fuck does that matter to them? And what does that matter to me? Why is that even important? They're happier not troubling themselves with that thought. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be aware of it, but if you can find a way to center yourself um, without being troubled constantly by that thought, why would you not take that route? And I think there's some wisdom in that that I missed out on and that maybe you're missing out on. Oh, definitely. There's plenty of wisdom I'm missing out on. <laughs> uh, for me, it's very much like, I don't necessarily think that happy people are stupid. That's not how I look at them uh, or ignorant. Really? Like, I think it's about how you're able to contextualize things. Like it's possible to put things in perspective and consider them without 
I guess being becoming emotionally attached to them. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lot of, uh, I think that's a lot of like social just existence in general is figuring out how to do that. And I think most people figured out how to do that and became, it's like a sign of maturity, I guess, to be able to do that. I think mm-hmm. for me, I'm so like, I'm so aggressive and like just, I'm so energy driven or something. I don't know. It's weird. It's like, yeah, I can't, it's not even that they trouble me necessarily. It's just like part of it is I like the problem solving aspect, right? Like I like conducting thought experiments constantly. It's not always like a negative thing that they keep me awake, but for me, I'm just so like, I'm like a Pantera record in my head, right? Like it's just <laughs> this, it's just this guy fucking shouting and screaming. Which one? Vulgar display of power or like Cowboys from hell. Like there's so many good ones and they're also different. Uh, probably like the great Southern trend kill album. Yes. Like the whole thing, <laughs> like probably that whole thing because th- that's such an up and down of like, he he's, he's pissed off. And then all of a sudden he's talking about how he's going to kill himself again. Like I'll try again, motherfucker. Don't, don't dare me. And, uh, he's talking about like, uh, oh shit, I can't remember the name of it now. Where uh, I fucked your girlfriend last night while you slept. I fucked like he's so he's so like brash and egocentric, and and then all of a sudden he's like introspective and and terrified again. Like that's kind of how I am. Is I'm just yeah, I'm like uh like rattling tinfoil. Like it's there's so much just cacophony for no reason. And I think that's what I've never been able to do with meditation is like, just stop the cacophony because I can cut a couple of them down. I can, can, I can lessen the amount. And then, you know, when things start to get quiet in my brain, actually I would argue it's not even an argument. I would say that the quieter things get in my brain, the the more anxious I get. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't smoke weed for instance, because the less on guard I am, the more anxious I get. Like it's, it's a really weird, like I can't relax because the more relaxed I am, the less relaxed I am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm I'm far more comfortable with fucking shields up and like paying attention to everything that I am not because the moment I'm not, that's when I'm like, okay, something's happening. So how did you, how did you grow up? How did that, uh, enter your psyche? Because that means something, right? Like, um, if you're not comfortable with calm, it, probably means that you adapted in an environment that was not calm and i think that i you don't have you're under no obligation to say anything i definitely grew up in a place that was not calm and was around a lot of people who were not calm and i very much feel far more comfortable dealing with chaos and cacophony uh fuck cacophony than i do with uh with zen and just like relaxed it's almost hard for me to relax no, yeah, for sure. Uh, there are some things I'll leave out, but some stuff I'll leave in. Uh, for instance, I was a very like, like cherubic, timid kid for a lot of my life. That's a ten dollar word. And uh, I don't know. There was like this point because I grew up in a. Uh, it was a small public school, but it was very like. I don't know the place where I come from, like nobody's really expected to be anything, I guess like, uh, Sin Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. A small town called Mayfield. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's very much known for having like an amazing high school football team and that's the town. Um, 
Otherwise, how, it's mostly just a lot of uh, a lot of people just trying to scrape by. Go ahead. How, sorry. How many people can relate to that story? Like, how many people could say, "I grew up in a town where the only thing was the football team"? Oh, probably a fuckload. And furthermore, like, what does that say, right? When you you have a town where no one's expected to be anything, and the football team, like the these hyper aggressive alpha males, represent your town, and they're badass as fuck, and they're like dominating all the city kids. I always loved that metaphor, right? Yeah, it was that. It was also uh, our school. I I don't know if it still is, but our school was very much covered up with like drugs and people were bringing guns to school, like all the things that you think about Same. as being like a very mm-hmm. uh like a very you know like a a metropolitan kind of situation was what was going on there in our tiny fucking you know I don't even know what the population would be maybe maybe. 800 to a thousand people between all grades if that probably less yeah sounds like twin peaks yeah and like uh mayfield is colloquially called like little memphis because there's a lot of like crime that goes on that no one really talks about and uh there was a high profile murder that happened there uh it's called the jessica Mm -hmm. curran Mm -hmm. case like it happened not i mean it's been 20 or so years now but that was like a, a situation where the fbi came in and they were like, we don't actually know who did this, but this case was definitely fucked with. Like it, it, the Twin Peaks analogy is surprisingly apropos, actually, because there's there's a lot of little shit like <laughs> that. And uh, I found myself in this situation where, like, I would be walking home from school and having to dodge getting jumped and shit like that. Like it was for uh, at first no reason. Uh, later on, I definitely attracted that kind of thing, but. I had like a, a popping point in high school where I was like, I'm fucking done. I don't care. Like, I, I, I'm fighting everyone. Oh, dude. Yeah. So many. <laughs> and I, I, I wish I could say I won most of them, but I didn't. It's probably more like 50, 50, but yeah, there was, there was a time in my life where it was like, yeah. All right. I'm not going to be the quiet kid anymore. Fuck it. Like hit me in the face. Let's do it. Yeah. I know, I know exactly how you feel, man. Except I'm like probably less than half your size. So there's a lot more ass whoopings than I never ever needed to get into, but I totally feel you. Like it, I think that really uh, can shape your mind, right? Where you're constantly in fear, you're constantly on edge, and that can really lead you down a path later on in life where you're like, uh, it's hard to escape that. Even when you have no reason to be in that mindset, you're kind of always there. Yeah, it's interesting too because both of us uh, gravitated towards more aggressive professional situations. Like, I'm a cook. A lot of people don't think about cooks being like aggressive, but we are. Like, where there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of convicted felons and there's a lot of drug addicts and there's a lot of things like that. It's just, I don't know, there's something about being constantly on edge that's like, like I'm an adrenaline junkie, right? I, I yeah. chug a I chug a fuckload of bang every day whenever I get to work. Like it's just, I don't know. There's something about being on edge and tweaked out that just compels. It's just compelling now. I don't know. Well, that's the nature of being, you know, in the restaurant industry is that you're always under pressure. It's like this high pressure situation all the time where it's like I have to perform, and if you don't, you get cut out. Even if you're like at the highest levels in the restaurant industry, I, I hope I'm not breaking this news to anyone who's you know jaded or unaware of this but like if you go to a five-star restaurant i guarantee you there's a couple of fucking heroin addicts in the kitchen like 100 percent. yeah and it 
that's so real. Like, uh, and I've been involved in many different industries and I'm, I'm very young, but like I have, and that's just a fact. I'm not trying to like project or say I'm better than anybody, but like, uh, just for instance, like the pro wrestling business. when I was part of that was just so rampant with like all the time, you know, I'm not a big dude. People were like, uh, let me know when you're ready to do steroids and I'll hook you up. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm probably never going to do that. And they're like, yeah, but I know that. But when you're ready, just let me know. And I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. Like, it's always there. It's always part of it. And in the restaurant industry, it's like, I, I'd actually argue the restaurant industry is more brutal in many ways than the pro wrestling industry. Because at least um, at least in the res- wrestling industry, you're kind of shielded from the public. You know, at least in your private endeavors. But in the restaurant industry, it's like there's a, a wall. There's just one wall between you and the outside world. And you have to deal with them. You have to, like, serve them in a lot yeah, of ways. Yeah, and they're fucking annoying, too. Let me tell you that. <laughs> uh, man, they're just people like you and me, man. They just want a good meal. But I know I know what you mean. Like, there's some shitty people out there. Like, one of the worst things ever is, like, when they hold... Somebody holds their glass up and just, like, it's just ice. And they just hold it out, waiting for the waitress to come fucking pick it up. And I'm like, you piece of shit. You have no fucking respect for humanity. <laughs> but you can't hit them. You can't do anything. If you're a bad guy wrestler, like somebody's like, you piece of fucking crap. They don't even know who you are as a real person. They just, you know, they see your character, which is good. That's, that's what we want. But it's like, they hate you. They hate you. They want you to die. And they want someone who's a good guy to come kick the shit out of you. But they don't really know you. And they have no respect for, you know, where you came from to get where you are. It's so weird that that's still a thing too, because kayfabe's been dead since fucking Bret Hart got screwed over. Like, I I think that's a that's really we could we could have a million different tangents on this conversation. That's that is a kayfabe in general is such an interesting topic that could just be delved into forever. It, since Bret Hart got screwed over is a great example, but even then, right? It's it, people have this idea that kayfabe died when people re- learned that the industry was not real, like as if they didn't already know that. But I think that kayfabe prevails even now because the the art of it is not whether or not you know it's real, it's what's real. It's yeah, which true. parts of these is real and which parts of these is part of the story. And you'll never really know the answer to that question. And in the Montreal Screwjob with Bret Hart, it was like, is is this part of the story? At the time especially, it was like, it, was it part of the story that Vince was going to screw him over? Or is that real? And nobody would ever really know the answer to that question until Bret Hart put out his autobiography. You know? And even then, it's like, that's just his perspective. And Vince has, you know, been very shielded about that ever since. Shout out Dave Ostry. I know he's a big wrestling fan too. <laughs> oh man, I used to be. I wish I still were. Oh, you got to jump in, man. AEW night's in the keep. Anybody listening, we watch AEW every, not necessarily Wednesday night, but whenever they put out a new episode, we always watch it together. It's great. Uh, AEW has been the best thing that's happened to pro wrestling in I don't know how long, dude. Cue the Jim Cornette voice. But anyway, back to back to your point of view. Like, it, you know, you, you grew up and you, you had this kind of cacophonous, like a uh, crazy... Uh, vibe that kind of put you in the situation where you're like always on edge and you like you actually thrive in it like you as you said you're like i drink a lot of bang i don't streak a whole i don't sleep a whole lot and you you thrive in that environment and i'm curious how that influences your creation of videos and you're in even so the the way that you experience games uh as far as videos go um i usually try to slow that down a little bit in, in there um 
for instance, with uh, the the therapy stuff that I was picking up, although the second one did get considerably more aggressive, but initially I wanted it to be very like, because therapy for me, I ended up liking it towards the end, but whenever we were getting into like the deep shit, like working through the stuff in the beginning, it was very much like a dread situation where it was like, fuck, I got to go do this again. Because yeah. for anyone who's not done therapy, the beginning of therapy with a good therapist is basically just fucking it's, it's like getting a knife in the gut for a while. And then eventually it does for me anyway, yeah. eventually it does sort of mellow out. But whenever like I had shit that I had fucking repressed come out like one of those uh, fucking snake in a can toys, like I just things that I didn't even remember. And then boom, there they are. And it was like, oh, shit. OK, like it'll definitely force you to confront yourself if it's done well, you know, well. With that one, that's sort of the direction I took with it. But I wanted to slow it down and really be like, like I'm going to put my fucking reptile brain onto a video for public consumption. So let's slow yeah. it down and really do it. Like, like, let's dissect it piece by piece and not hold any of the shit back. Uh, as far as games go, I'm definitely attracted to more like kinetic mechanics focused type of shit. And that's not to say that I never... You know, because like I said, I like isometric RPGs. They're very slow, but when it comes to like FPS and shit like that, like I almost always go to either the hardest or the second hardest difficulty. Like I, my favorite game of all times, Bloodborne. Like I really like, I really like games that force you put the gun to your head and go. Look, you got you're either gonna stop here, or you're gonna get you know good enough to do this. To to drop the get good quote, I can relate to that in a lot of ways. It- I've recently started to like accept that I shouldn't like it's more like a time saving thing. It's like a I would dive into a game and say like I if I, if I can't beat this on the hardest difficulty, I suck and I don't deserve to like play it or or commentate on it. But then I realized at a certain point that it's like I play, you know, in the nature of this business, like I play so many games and I can only dedicate a certain amount of time and energy energy is the big point of you know, that I'm trying to make here is like into that endeavor. And so I don't have to kill myself for the process. Right. And I don't think you do either, but I understand totally that point of view. Yeah. But man, if you've never been in a fight, how can you know yourself? There's an think, edgy movie quote for you right there. I think that uh, a great movie, but I think that the average gamer, right. As much as, because the reality of what we're talking about is, yeah, we want to appeal to that that hardcore Doom crowd and all that shit. But, um, my goal is not just to appeal to the hardcore crowd, right? I I want to evangelize. I want to like reach the people who are skeptical and bring them into this fold. And they're not going to get there by jumping into Doom on Ultra Nightmare, right? They they want to experience the game in a way that they can fathom. I, I need to bring myself back to you know when I first played any game like this at all. Um, I I want those people to be able to appreciate this stuff too. And Dave Oshry is super wise about this man. Like he he said multiple times over, like when he tests a game, I test it on normal because that normal is where no most normal people are going to start. And you know if it's if it needs to be harder, you can have the harder difficulties. If it needs to be easier, you can have the easier difficulties. But the masses, the people who are WWE struggled this a lot where it's like people, you know, hardcore fans would like uh be upset. Like, why isn't this made for me? I'm the I'm the real wrestling fan here. I've been with you guys for twenty years. Like, yeah, you've been with us for twenty years. 
you're going to watch this no matter what. You're going to be involved in this community no matter what. So why are you supposed to be the main person I'm servicing to? I need to service to the people who would not otherwise be part of this, right? Like the people who are skeptic, the people who are not currently involved, we need to bring them into the fold, and that's how you grow. Yeah. If you disagree, let me know. No, I actually agree. Um, At first, I was very much like, I was very elitist about a lot of things. Like, uh, I don't know if I even used it, but there's an old intro that I made, and it's fucking terrible, but it had this really cringy hashtag that was like PC versus everybody and shit like that, because I was like, I very much wanted to evangelize for the PC and be like, we're better than everyone else. And it, it even... Whenever I made it, I was like, eh, it's kind of off-putting for no reason. And I'm sort of getting there with, like, the difficulty of shit like that. Like, I like fucking dick-breaking games, but that's not exactly the best way to showcase a game. And that's why with a medieval, like, I played it on hard, but even after that, I was like, eh, maybe I could have went normal. Now, granted, a medieval is not a particularly difficult game, even on hard. I didn't, I didn't even know nightmare existed. Like whenever I played that, I thought that was the hardest difficulty, but with uh, the next one that I'm working on, I ended up playing all of those maps on three different difficulties because I was like, all right, if you jump in on the middle difficulty, there's no fucking way that most people are going to persist with this mod. There's no way. Like even, even in the description, it's like, there's no fucking way. And then the one down from that was, I mean, it wasn't as hard, but I was still trying to think like, okay, who's going to play this? People who haven't played this before, because it's not new. People who haven't played this before, if they pick this difficulty, they're probably going to stop halfway through. Right. So then I ended up playing it on the lowest difficulty as well. And I think that's where a lot of people are going to move into that. So there's going to be a lot of that included. Right. So I agree with your perspective. It was just one of those things where it was kind of a learning process that I'm still trying to come to grips with is like, I'm not playing these games purely for enjoyment anymore because I'm making a channel out of it. I I still very much play. I don't play anything that's not for my own enjoyment. Like I, I hope that comes across in the podcast. Like I literally have no time for shit that I don't care about at all. None. Zero. If I, it's almost, it makes me feel like a jackass. Like I'm really kind of harsh sometimes to the, the people who are closest to us, right? In the keep. Uh, the apostles are always coming to be like, hey, yo, you know, like try out Titanfall 2 and try out like a, you know, Open Fortress was a recent one. And and I was just like, I know I don't like Team Fortress. Like, I'm not against Team Fortress. I think it's a valuable asset to the arena shooter community and all that. But it's just like, I personally don't care. And I'm not going to just suddenly have a really passionate, useful point of view on the Team Fortress community tomorrow. Maybe I could be opened up to that, but like currently, like why, why am I going to put my already limited time and energy into that when it's not important to me? So, you know, a lot of what you hear on the show, unfortunately, is just me like, oh my god, dude, I love your game so much. It's amazing. You're you know such a you know talented individual and all this kind of shit. And maybe that makes me sound like um like too giving or like uh, oh motherlord he's not even really a critic he likes everything like i'm not a critic i'm just a fan and i want to talk to the people who really inspire me and i don't want to you know i don't want people to waste their time on shit that they don't like either no for sure i'm not gonna play anything that i have no interest in because then i can't get passionate about it but just in terms of like difficulty settings 
Right. I don't, I don't feel like I have enough of an audience right now to be like, I have to make it out by the schedule. But if I'm going to try to, you know, tell the average person who may not yeah, you know, be as skilled or have the same abilities that I do in terms of like hand eye coordination, it, it would be completely pointless to play something on its hardest difficulty and break my dick on it for two weeks. And then yeah. be like, here's how good it is. And then they jump in and they're like, this doesn't even look like that. It's kind of, it's not really misrepresenting it, but it's sort of misrepresenting it. Well, but like, how are you going to come across in the video if you just went through this exhausting process that wasn't even pleasurable to you? And then you're like, oh, it's a really good game and all this kind of shit. Like, no, it wasn't. You sound like you don't even fucking like it. You sound, you sound exhausted. You sound like you don't care. You know, uh, I want to hear you fresh and happy. Like, that's what I want to hear when I hear you talk. Like, I want to hear like you in your most recent video like i want to hear you say like here's all the good things about a medieval that i think you'll really like and not just like i don't want to feel like you're lying to me and i don't want to feel like it hurt you to bring me this entertainment no for sure like i could never i can never do that 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 was my problem with like the uh the negative criticism was it was so fucking like hard to care because it's like there's a million there's a million people who are going to tell you this isn't good. You don't fucking need me to do it. So that's never going to happen. I'm never right. going to play something just because I feel like I should even though I hate it. Like I can't I can't bring myself to do it. That feels like somebody telling me that I have to do something at that point. Even if that person is me, like me telling me that I need to do something if I can't come up with a good reason, I'm not going to fucking do it. Yeah. Like my idea of the ultimate YouTuber like or in terms of game review, right? Is like I don't want to spend 20 minutes listening to somebody tell me about a game that I shouldn't play. I want to look at your catalog and know, because I've heard you speak before, that everything in here is something that's worth my time. You know? It's actually valuable consumer information. (laughs) Well, now you know. As opposed to fucking, uh, hey, this game is trash and I'm going to laugh at it. Like, there was a point in my YouTube feed where that was all that it fucking was. And I was just like, like, this is just after total biscuit had died. And it was like, is this really what everything else on YouTube was like? Cause I was in such like a total biscuit bubble. And then everything else just sort of rotated as like, you know, time filler or whatever, just other people I liked, right. but they weren't like my main go-to. And once he died, I was like, man, that dude really was something completely different than everyone else. Cause he would put me on the shit that I would immediately go by. And that's what I, that's what I would like to be is sort of like a, I don't want to say a tastemaker cause it's so fucking pretentious, but like, if you like the kind of things that I like, then go get this. That's what I'm going for. That was the, yeah. And that was the point of view with developers at the time that who like valued total biscuit. It was like, it wasn't, if I get a negative review from total biscuit, I'm fucked. It was like, if total biscuit doesn't, acknowledge me i'm fucked right it was like uh if he acknowledged you your game was good your game was worthwhile it was at least worth talking about and if he didn't acknowledge you is because it wasn't because like you didn't get noticed it was because cause he was on everything right he he knew everything that was going on it was like uh he didn't care and if he didn't care then the legions of people associated with his name didn't care because they weren't even aware of you because they looked to him for where to go yeah that's i think that's still missing <laughs> as far as like the uh the bigger youtube space goes in the gaming area because it's still like let's plays were always going to dominate a lot of those guys a lot of those guys i guess you could say kind of fill the same sort of niche for their age group because someone who's you know 
eight, nine, may have never found Five Nights at Freddy's had uh, fucking Markiplier never picked it up. So I don't want to like shit on them. But when it comes to more like adult oriented games conversations, there's not a lot of that. Like I still can't really find it. You can find it with, you know, Civi does it, like you said, G-Man does it, like you said. But outside of the two of those and the very specific kinds of games they cover, it's very difficult to find that. And if you do, it's still very oriented to like a 10 to 14, like you're still a very young person kind of thing. So a lot of those games don't even appeal to me in the first place. So I never find them. I think that's uh we've we've pretty much wrapped it up in terms of like psychoanalysis and everything. I, I, I do want to talk to you specifically about like some games. So before we get into like what's on your radar, let's talk about some of the games that you have done really cool reviews of. And uh, well, probably when would you say like, cause I know there's like a dividing line as you say with the, uh, the quality of, you know, you finding yourself, where would you say that started for you? Is like when you really kind of found it, you, you knew what you were about. Probably the uh, Duke Nukem 20th anniversary video, because in that one, that was when I was like, all right, I'm gonna fuck around with some voice acting. Cause I had this idea. I was uh, kind of afraid of like the editing process because I didn't, I wasn't even close to understanding it yet, but I had this idea of like playing Duke Nukem with Duke. But of course, I can't hire John St. John to do fucking voiceover, much less play a game with me. So I was like, I'll just fuck around with the audition, see if I can lower my voice enough to like make it work. <laughs> so it's like it, it doesn't work. But it was kind of the moment where I went, OK, I can do something different with this because I'm doing like Duke lines and dropping them down to like this really poor facsimile of a, a John St. John impression. <laughs> and then I would say after that, probably blood. Cause that was where I was like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to play around with editing. Cause I'm clearly not articulate enough to be like a free form, total biscuit clone, which is what I was trying to be up to that point. Well, let's start from blood because I feel like if we go in on the 20th anniversary Duke Nukem thing, we're just going to talk shit about Randy pitchfork for like 30 minutes. And I don't want to do that, but so blood fresh supply, like what was your take at the end of it? I had never played that game. So I wasn't aware of like, how raw it was when it first came out for me, it was like, okay, this is this game that everyone in this community is talking about. Let me go check it out. And then I was blown the fuck away. Like I had never played like an old style FPS that had that kind of atmosphere before. It was very much like, wow. Okay. So I can go over here and I have a very specific bit in there where I find the uh, record, the record player, I believe in the first level. And then when you activate the record player, it's just people screaming. And I thought that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then, of course, like the old uh, the old 90s CG uh, FMV sequences where like this fucking polygonal bat is taking uh, whatever her name is up. And after you kill the gargoyle and all that shit, I was like, this is so fucking good. I get it. It was such a it was such a weird because I had heard of it when I was a kid, but I didn't have access to it. Like it was sort of a, uh, one of those things that you heard about on internet forums, but I couldn't just go to a store and find it because I was in too small of a market, I guess. I don't know. There's this uh, really, really cool interview I heard with uh, Alice Cooper where they were asking him like, you know, who uh, of the shock rock genre today, like who do you think really carries the torch of where, you know, of what you started with, you know, Alice Cooper. And 
it, basically it boiled down to like, is it Marilyn Manson or is it Rob Zombie? And he was like, Rob Zombie. And not because he doesn't like Marilyn Manson, but he's like, Rob Zombie really understands how to be gruesome and how to be like fucked up in the same way, but still has that sense of humor about it where it's not just purely dark and negative. Not to say that Marilyn Manson is, but like from his perspective, at least like Rob Zombie was like, you know, he's not just this dark, evil, sick, fucked up individual that you're supposed to relate to. He's like, he has that tongue in cheek quality and blood for me. was like the perfect blend of, it's a really dark game. It's gothic. It has, you know, gore and, you know, cult members and violence and everything associated with it. But it's hilarious. It's literally hilarious. Like, you can't play that game without laughing or you're a sick, fucked up individual. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Blood definitely rides that line of grimdark to the point where it could have been really cringy. And instead, it like it held enough self-awareness that you never quite get that, like, you go into a place called the fucking Dark Carnival of all places, and it's still just fucking hilarious. I I'm also curious, like what what other games? Like you you have a really nice wide repertoire here of all stuff that I've covered extensively on the podcast. But like, what are some other things that are on your radar? Like what what's kind of like your things that you want to cover or that you think are worthy of kind of standing on the same stage as these other games? Well, the big one that I'm trying to figure out how to do. Because I don't, I don't want to make a fucking two-hour review, but I also don't want to do a game a disservice and cut it too short. Is a Adam RPG, so a lot of people are familiar with like Fallout Three, mm-hmm. so it's like a you know FPS all that shit. But I don't think a lot of people really go into what one and two were, which are like these isometric, uh very weird like all very skate style games yeah, yeah yeah they're very uh they're like point and click kind of thing where you right click and you move and everything's grid based and there's like a tactics element and Adam RPG is a uh, indie game that is very similar in spirit especially but also mechanically like it's it's very clearly um mechanically uh spirited by like a Fallout style game mm-hmm uh, there's also a game that's not out yet called Death Trash that's heavily on my radar that seems like it's going to be in a very similar vein in terms of mechanics, but has like its own like its own take on a post-apocalyptic kind of scenario. I'm also looking at a lot of mods, uh, specifically for Doom. Viet Doom is the next one that I'm working on because that is 100% the most just... I played a lot of mods, especially for Doom, just mm-hmm. over the course of time. But holy fuck, Viet Doom is on its own level. Like, I've played conversion mods. Black Mesa is a perfect example of a game that I'm going through that I'm probably going to cover. That started out as a conversion mod. That game is not anywhere near what Viet Doom does to Doom. Like, I'm still I've played through Viet Doom three times, and I am still like, holy fucking shit, that guy managed to do this in in Doom. Like Sergeant Mark is a wizard. Like I will never quite understand his prowess within the Doom engine. Like he knows the Doom engine so intimately. He's like a it's like watching one of the famous composers, you know, like to deal with music. 
every single thing, every project he works on is an innovation. It's not just like a here's another do mod, cool fresh math pack, or like, and I like that kind of stuff. Like, don't get me wrong, but he revolutionizes the engine every time he touches it. Yeah, that's that might be putting it lightly for Viet Doom, but <laughs> I love brutal. I love brutal Doom, and Viet Doom is like, how is any of this shit even possible? Yeah, it, I, it makes a- me. I'm even more hyped for Brutal Fate now because I don't see how that game can be anything less than amazing. I just don't see it. I don't see an avenue for that guy. Like, I don't think he would put out anything that anyone could touch without it being, like, just mind-blowing. A good example of something like that that has nothing to do with Sergeant Mark is um, Z Damon. It's a Doom Source port. has, like, a really excellent mod that's still in development called FCT Shop. And it essentially turns Doom into something more like... Uh, like a multiplayer Mass Effect 2 in that you have like this kind of hub area where you can go around and shop and interact with people and everything. But then you kind of all at the same time go on these missions where it's, it could be any map pack you want, it doesn't matter. And and it mods the game, like mods the, the, the monsters and gameplay and the weapons and everything. And you, you like save up your money and you can go buy like bigger, stronger, cooler weapons and unlock new parts of the hub map and everything. And just the the way that people have learned how to revolutionize that that engine is mind blowing to me, and it's even more difficult, I think, in in Zedaemon and those parameters than it would be in like GZ Doom, like a like what Mark, Sergeant Mark is doing. I have not heard of that, but I'm going to check it out. <laughs> fucking page up because that sounds incredible. Well, hit hit up me and uh, Flambo sometime. We'll take you on a tour through it. But it's very very interesting project. Hell yeah, I, I've got that pulled up right now. That looks amazing. Uh, there's also a game called. Uh, it's called Jupiter Hell. Okay. It's a uh, traditional style roguelike, so it fits almost all of the uh, Berlin interpretations, uh, definitions for what constitutes a roguelike. So where Binding of Isaac is something that is very much a uh, a roguelite, uh, Total Biscuit did a really good video on the difference between the two, uh, where it's like, you know, it's sort of a Zelda-esque, like, dungeon crawl style Jupiter Hell, however, is a, a tile-based grid system, um, very much the way that old Rogue was, but it's based off of a uh, an independent game that was released free, the Doom Roguelike. But now, Cornell, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, he uh, decided to go off on his own and make essentially what is like a brutal fate, but for Roguelikes, and it's fucking incredible if i could uh if i could get far enough in it i I already would have done a video but the the skill requisite for that game is still ridiculous it's uh it's in early access but it is it is nuts that's also on my radar yeah i'm looking forward to yeah i don't want to i try to play my cards close to my chest but like i'm looking forward to the time when you know we've grown our channels enough that we can really kind of have an influence on that kind of stuff like what what's worth talking about and everything and you know hopefully one day like produce something maybe and games like what you're talking about that that sounds so interesting even uh the one that you showed me recently the king arthur game arthurian legends like that kind of thing is such an interesting take on the genre right like not just not just being a a retro you can't even really call it a shooter like it's not a boomer shooter but even though it has a crossbow in it but it it's like so in this vein and yet so drastically different 
from everything else that we've kind of gone on upon that it's like, oh my god, this is so refreshing and exciting. That that's the kind of thing that you know, you just told me about that, but like when you make videos about that kind of shit, like when you're reaching an audience that's you know, however many thousand people you end up reaching, like that's gonna be such a beautiful thing, man. I'm really looking forward to your perspective being kind of broadcast to the wider world. Hell yeah, man. I'm uh I'm down for all of that. Mostly what I want to see is people going, oh, that game, I'm going to fucking buy that game. Like, that is that is the aim. That is the goal. If You've I already can... started that. You've already done it. Like, a medieval sold a shitload of copies just based on your most recent video. I saw lots of people on Twitter. Like, I just bought it because of you said so. That's true, man. That felt like I retweeted one of them that I saw, and I was like, this is the highest compliment, and that's fucking true. Like, I've had a couple people say that they were going to give Call of Cthulhu a try because I made that video. And that's like, yes, please, because I was off put by the reviews for that game. And then I played it. I was like, motherfucker, why do I even look at reviews? Yeah. That's because they don't have you yet, man. Hey, maybe one day. Maybe someday. This is a good place to, I think, turn in. I've kind of, uh, I've reached everything that I feel like I can suck out of you right now. So this is going to be a nice long interview and I'm uh, very happy to have Spend this time getting to know you, dude, and welcome to the team. Hell yeah, man. I appreciate it. I look forward to uh, the things that we're going to do. Uh, Hadoukant, we need to get fucking serious Sundays going. I'm putting that on the podcast to pressure you. Yeah, Hadoukant's passion projects right now are serious Sundays and no postal on Sundays. So Yes, yes, I'm I am here for that. All right, a few thank yous before we get out of here. I want to say, uh, obviously, huge thank you to Vince Steele for being on the show and for joining the fold of the Keep. He has been inducted into the cult of Cathala, and uh, that's a badge that we all wear with honor. So definitely go check him out on YouTube. I'll leave the uh, link in the episode notes just in case you haven't already done that. Also, I want to say thank you to Igrax Simon for this badass track. He's always incredible. I'll leave a link to him as well. And then uh, we got to say thank you to everybody who's been uh, piling on to the supporters list. So, Dots, Moose, Paul, Zach, Alexander, Lashaka, Brad, Night Owl, Tones, Jeffrey, Larissa, Nabe, Steve, NVZ, Catman, Semiko, Chibi Sniper, Donkey, VJ, Tenjin, Hadoukant, Brandflakes, Malekith, Rao, Red Eyes, Green Dragon, Anthony, Robert, Vince, Amorpher, Igrak, Simon, Gelmosan and Russell, you have all been absolutely incredible uh, just supporting the show. So I thank you very humbly, and the Drone God Katala thanks you humbly. Also, uh, go check out. we got some new items on the merch store on our website, inthekeep.com. You can find links to all of the different ways to listen to the podcast and all that good shit. And I'm going to leave you with one last thing. I'm not sure if it'll be next week or the week after that, but we have, I've alluded to it a bit, a huge, huge announcement about some uh, stuff coming up this summer with the keep that I think is going to blow your fucking minds. So I will leave you now on that cliffhanger and until next time, stay in the keep.